Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Dawn Lister. We're talking today to Zara Khan. Now Zara is halfway through her medical degree and is this year studying um, her master's on women's health. Um, now I've known Zara for quite a while. I've known her from when she was at school, I think. I think I met you when you were doing your A-levels. Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. Is that when it was? And I think I, you were running a marathon or half, half marathon or something. And um, your legs were broken. You broke, basically broke the body, didn't you? So you came, yeah. came and to you did some healing. I did yeah. for some healing for some for having legs sort of <laughs> say that. And we've we kind of um, kept in touch over the years, you know, with various treatments and stuff. And I've really watched you blossom into quite an incredible, articulate young woman. And Dara and I had the most fascinating conversation at, earlier this year about um, gender and various um, gender roles. And I put my hands up that I am a dinosaur stuck in the old way of thinking um, and not really understood, didn't really understand what you were talking about. So I, I was like, I have to have a deeper conversation with you about this stuff because I need to educate myself. Um, sitting in my own little happy bubble, being quite comfortable with being female and nothing really affecting me and it not being you know, something that I've had to consider at all um so i was just really really curious so i'm really excited to be educated today that's what i'm hoping is going to happen we'll have a really I'll, I'll have um i'll have some stuff explained to me that i really don't understand and i'm sure it's going to be a fascinating conversation so let's check in with each other let's see how we all are doing daniel what's going on what's the story how are you i am doing well thank you Dawn. um what have I been doing? I've been spending quite a lot of time actually, kind of having a bit of downtime. Um, I've been catching up with some programs that I've wanted to watch on telly. Um, I've watched this really brilliant um, film by um, Ryan Murphy, the guy who made Glee and the guy who made Pose and lots and lots of other things on Netflix that he's done. But he's made this particular um, musical that was a Broadway musical um, called The Prom. And it stars Meryl Streep, uh, Nicole Kidman, um, James Corden. And oh. it was one of those, you know, when you kind of like, you put something on, you're sort of like, oh, this is going to be a bit cheesy and a bit rubbish. And it is very cheesy. It is very camp. It's just got the most beautiful message behind it, though, about inclusivity and about um, accepting people for who they are. So if you want something to uplift your mood that is completely non-taxing on your brain, I would suggest watching The Prom on Netflix. It was brilliant. There's lots of sparkles, Dawn. You'll love it. Lots of colour. I watched, I watched the first 15 minutes with the girls the other night and they're like, this is such a load of rubbish. And they got all the reviews up and they're like, no, it's not a review higher than two and they turned off. So I'm going to go back and watch it myself. I don't think it was edgy enough for them. No, it's not edgy at all. It's pure, it's pure escapism, pure oh. cheese. <laughs> However, if you like a musical, it's brilliant. <laughs> I really like Glee and Pose, so I feel like oh, I think uh, you'd be in the right place yeah. then. <laughs> it's on the very camp end, though. <laughs> I've just been watching American Gods. 
Have you heard of it? Well, I've heard of that. No. That's on Amazon Prime. And I've been I've seen it up for years because it's, it's quite old. I think it's in its third season. And it's Ian McShane. And then I don't know the other people, but they're brilliant. It is astonishing. It's about how we create gods in our own minds and we give, basically give them power. And in the old days, it was the old gods, like the old Nordic gods and you know Zeus and all that business. And then now it's media, you know, and politics and money. And it's so clever and it's quite dark, but beautifully short. Oh, I just love it. I'm obsessed. I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm just like watching it every, when I'm cooking, I've got the TV on and I'm, you know, doing my notes. I've got the TV on in the background. I can't, I just can't stop. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Need to check it out. Zara, what have you been up to? We're all talking about telly. It's obviously that time of year, isn't it? We're all hunkering well, down. I've also been, been watching a lot of telly. Yesterday, I watched a really good film and it was um it's called misbehavior oh yeah um, it's got kira knightley in um quite star-studded um but it was about the women's liberation movement um and how that all started and it was about the you know the miss world pageant oh yeah, um, yeah. in i think it was 1969 um and yeah the kind of the things that went into the pageantries and there was a a group of women who were really kind of like yeah they, they just didn't really agree with the whole idea of a pageant and they like they use the metaphor of the only other kind of way that women are uh, or, or pe things are given importance by their like weight and measurements as like cattle herding and stuff like that but then you see like two sides of it because you see the women who are so involved in like the pageantries and then you see, you completely see both sides of the coin. And I thought that was really good. Also, the Queen, nice. the Queen's Gambit. Oh, wow. Was Brilliant. really good. Yeah. Test more diets are after the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, well, I've been keep keep telling my dad, like, we need to get the chessboard out again. Because he tried to, like, get me into chess when I was really young. And I just wasn't having any of it. Because I was like, oh, no, it's so, like, nerdy and not cool. But now... Queen's Gambit has just brought it back into fashion, hasn't it? Oh, it is amazing. I play, We played chess the other night and um, I was so excited because I thrashed my husband and like, he's like, my husband's very clever. He's a member of Minso. He's got one of those brains that remembers literally everything. And I was like, excellent, something I'm better at. And then it proceeded to thrash me for the next <laughs> two games. So I think I just had a lucky one. Oh, I love, I really enjoy chess. So it's, uh, it's, these games are great. They're good for your brain, aren't they? Yeah, it's like strategy, isn't it? Thinking about yeah. strategy. Yeah, it's not drafts. <laughs> I have to remind myself, it's not drafts. You need a little strategy. Anyway, we could talk about TV all night and this is not a TV show. Although maybe we could have a TV episode. You never know. <laughs> Let's start chatting about why we're here. So tell me a little bit about how you got into women's health, how you got into medicine. You know, tell, let's start there. Yeah, so I think medicine for me, I didn't get in straight away, took a gap year, um, went into medicine, kind of just like I knew I definitely wanted to do it. I really like sciences and I was a healthcare assistant for a bit during my gap year. And that kind of gave me a bit of an insight into what a clinical role would be like. Um, and then spent three years studying medicine. And then for this year, we are lucky enough to have, some of us ha can have the opportunity to, it's called intercalate. Um, when you just take a year to, you can study whatever you want to, as long as it's vaguely medically related. And I chose women's health. Um, 
yeah, I, I think women's health, I think I've been surrounded by women all my life, like I have two sisters um, and just kind of seen how different health um, problems have like had impacts on women and the kind of complex interplay of gender, um, race, um, and so like all these different parts of society and how they all play a part in women's um, outcomes in medicine. Um, and yeah, it's been, I think also the kind of like books that I've been reading, um, they've all like played a part as well. So yeah. Do, do, would you say then that, you know, you started your medical degree with already an understanding that women were at a disadvantage? Or is that something that you came to understand as you started working in medicine? I definitely like, I, I had no idea the extent of the disparity of health outcomes comparing men and women. Um, and even the whole like umbrella term of woman that you think is female and you can, can kind of use the word women and female synonymously, but they are completely different. Um, and I think that that kind of idea of an intersectional approach to feminism and like empowering women um, is really important. And I think that that was really missed or like kind of overlooked or I overlooked that personally, like for myself when I was like starting my medical career and I was like, oh yeah, it's literally just like one shoe fits all for medicine. But then the more I learned about it, the more I realized that there was just so many complex things interplaying with one another that kind of puts people of a certain background um, and certain parts of their identity at a disadvantage. Um, yeah. Just going back a second, and um, you said, and correct me if I'm getting these the words wrong because I've got short-term memory, menopause, um, <laughs> women's health. <laughs> yeah, menopause is a big one. Yeah, no, let's yeah. not go down the menopause route. I'm having such a bad menopause week. Anyway, we said women, at, you said women and female are not the same. Yeah. Can so you, I don't, can you explain for people like me who don't know exactly what you mean there? Yeah, so I didn't really understand either. And then I learned more about it. So it was basically that female um, is a description of your genetic makeup. So your chromosomes, um, your sex organs so your testes or testes for a male ovaries for a female um, and your hormones and they all make up your biological determinants of sex so male or female and then you have gender which is socially constructed so woman or man um, kind of hangs on your biological construct of gen of sex so that's your gender um, and that's kind of like the way that you choose to identify. So in your own brain, um, you can identify yourself as like having attributes that would be stereotypically defined as for a man or a woman. Um, and the, it's the way that you express yourself, the clothes that you wear, if you choose to wear makeup, um, your like role, the roles and behaviors that you play in society. So that's more about gender um, rather than biological determinant of sex. And in and your, your, 
sorry. sorry, carry on. No, carry on. Uh, I was just going to say, like, your gender expression can also be very fluid, um, but we see gender in society. Well, it's changing at the moment, but like, it's stereotypically been seen as very binary, as like a man, he has these strict roles, um, and if he goes beyond that, um, he's seen as like emasculinated. Um, if he shows like sensitivity or like affection, blah blah blah, like that's that's not him playing his gender role correctly. Or a woman. So if it's just like expected sometimes that oh, a woman of a certain age, she might want she'll probably want to be a mother. Um, and then if she doesn't adhere to that kind of socially prescribed role of motherhood, then oh, she must be like abnormal. Or, that's very strange. Or yeah, so. So do you do you feel that I mean this is a big conversation so I'm just kind of curious yeah. where you're you're at about this do you feel that these roles have been imprinted on us because of society and if so why like what's the benefit I mean I'm sure at some time in the past and I know that in some tribes you know years ago and even now that gender is not such a big thing you know gender you know people are allowed to express themselves and were in different ways I mean I might be wrong correct me if I'm completely wrong there but you know do you feel that society have imposed gender roles on people and if so what for what purpose what do we get out of that um yeah I definitely think that society has imposed gender roles and it's the way that we choose to behave because of the kind of society constructed around us um I think that it it can probably be for like a number of different reasons but perhaps it's like um patriarchal kind of hierarchies um of keeping of like a, the oppression of women um the lack of bodily autonomy that you can sometimes well it's prevalent even now so when women don't have reproductive rights um or yeah lacking basic human rights as well um, um maybe that's not the sole purpose of it but i definitely think that plays a part but i'm not really sure i was just going to say as well if you look at you know the way christianity was constructed you know the story of adam and eve you know and this whole thing around you know the male was the more dominant one the woman actually was the one that was seen as the problem <laughs> caused the problem and made the man you know have have intercourse with her and then that's what started creation of so actually right away women are put down as the one that was the misbehavior rather than you know the one that <laughs> instigated yeah. it in the first place and yeah. um, you know that that whole that whole idea of you know these roles that men and women are supposed to play out through decades and centuries of kind of, you know, stories that have been told and ways that we've been influenced. You can understand now why, you know, there are these very, there's a lot of kind of friction happening where society is starting to change. Yeah. And I think that even, so when you were talking about like the more dominant role of a man and like the passivity of a woman, that's even reflected in the way that um, bodies, like women's bodies are viewed um, as kind of being more passive or like um, a receptacle or a vessel for childbirth, um, like a woman's reproductive organs. It's kind of 
like um, the objectification, it, it kind of comes into play with the objectification of women's bodies. Um, and you're kind of neglecting the like identity of the woman within. Yeah. It's really interesting as well, speaking from a, a, a gay man's perspective, the role of, and to use some gay slang, the man that is the top, the man that has sex, and the bottom, the man that is the receptacle, actually the person that identifies or the man that identifies as the bottom, up until very recently has actually been seen as the kind of the effeminate one, the mm -hmm. one that actually um, isn't as powerful. There's a real kind of, you know, there's a real kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. There's a real kind of stigma around being the bottom. Yeah. And that's really interesting because actually, you know, that is applying a more feminine or a, a more feminine view of that man because maybe, you know, that is what that is what they enjoy out of the sexual relation. But actually, you know, if you go on to certain certain um dating apps let's say um in the gay world you know there's i don't want effeminacy i don't want this type of person i don't want that type of person it's been really specific and a lot of it is around the identification of them being more effeminate yeah you, you yeah like those kind of filters kind of just you're completely erasing the identity of the person as well and choosing that oh these attributes aren't really like what I find attractive or whatever like yeah I wonder why um and how this came about that females were seen as the weaker sex the softer sex the um the gentler sex you know the the, the ones that feel versus the ones that think I mean it's like why 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 and how did we end up being put into this box because actually females are very powerful, you know, and, a, and to be intuitive and feeling, which isn't the domain entirely of women. May, I know many men who are both intuitive and have greatly in touch with their feelings. Um, you know, what, what, why did it come about that women had to be, you know, suppressed in this way? And, and you know, who's to say that you can't be both you know you can't when I look back at my childhood I really struggled with looking back now probably with identity a little bit um but not because I didn't feel female because I felt like the part of me that was more more male in inverted commas you know the thinking part of me the part of me that was quite you know curious and wanting to to speak a lot and you know in our and the society I grew up in that wasn't okay it was very much literally if you are a man the females listen to what you say and if you are a man you have the final say on everything and females nod and listen and it's their job to clean cook you know look after the home and you know it's certainly not your job to have an opinion you know in the religious society I was brought up in your women weren't allowed to lead the congregation in prayer or to speak directly to people you know if, if you were on the the platform as it was called where people were giving ministry women were allowed to go up if two women stood and talk to each other and, and then people watched them they weren't allowed to address the congregation uh, uh, and many many other things you know, so 
Mm. I really struggled with that growing up because I kept thinking, well, half of these blokes are pretty crap. You know, they're not getting <laughs> a sentence together. You know, they're not very intelligent. I can talk rings around them and we're a much better speaker and much more engaging. And I knew, and I was always trying to kind of step out of that boundary. And I was always being told, you're trying to be a bloke. You need to make peace with being a woman. And I always thought, well, why can't we be both? You know, why, you know, why can't I be like a bloke and like a, like a girl? And it was a real problem with me. And I really fought for a long time with being feminine because being feminine felt wrong. It felt like I had to prove I could do everything that blokes could do. You know, I was as strong as a man. I could work really hard and do really long hours. And at the same time, you know, manage my family and still look good and all of this. And I kind of ended up making myself ill. And I'm kind of thinking back as we're having this conversation, I think maybe there was a little bit of confusion around enforced identity and gender at that time I don't know I don't know do you think that was like an internalization of inferiority of being a woman or identifying as a woman that you'd kind of like taken into yourself and yeah had frustrations about that 100% absolutely couldn't yeah absolutely Daniel I can if we if we reverse that though I've written quite recently um about my experiences actually in school um, when I grew up, I was very effeminate. Um, I was not understanding of my sexuality at the time. And actually, I probably wasn't even young enough to understand what a gay person was at that time. But I was berated because I was effeminate, because I didn't enjoy any form of sports, because the sports that were on offer were things that were very masculine and actually just did not in any way, shape or form allow me to feel part of anything because you had to be masculine to be able to play these sports so I've actually found more recently that and that was a real problem for me because what it actually did was it stopped me from enjoying and I have a real problem now around any kind of team sport at all because I didn't fit into that box because actually I was far more feminine than a lot of the boys were So I've actually been working quite recently on really kind of embracing my feminine side and bringing that back out. And actually, for me, it's been so empowering to be able to connect with that feminine side again. And I've actually found myself now potentially feeling confident enough to maybe go and join a a sports group, but actually knowing that what I'm bringing now is just me. Mm. and I don't want to put I don't want to put a bracket around it yes I have genitals that identify me as a man but actually for me that's far too limiting on who I am Mm. because there's so much of me that actually is feminine as well as masculine and it's about finding that that gray ground and being comfortable in that gray ground rather than having to fit into those those socially constructed images or realities of what you know people think a boy or a girl should be I think that is important to remember like it is socially constructed and the kind of um internalization of this gender binary that we have and then the way that we choose to express ourselves like that is really um influenced by our society but it's important to remember that it's like not only just two binaries of gender and that it should gender should be seen as something fluid because 
things don't fit into people are people people are multifaceted human beings and they don't fit into neat boxes they're very complex um and one thing that i thought was a good representation of gender in itself was this idea of seeing individuals more as gender mosaics and they don't have to fit into neatly prescribed um ideas of who how they um like fit into an idea of femininity or masculinity um and that you can take attributes from both um sides of this spectrum um yeah that is that the model that you shared with us earlier about so the that was the genderbred person um and that was talking about there are um, four different things that make up an idea of gender um so by your biological sex um is your chromosome your genetic makeup um that everything kind of hangs on but it doesn't necessarily reflect how you interpret your own gender so your own gender um, is from your brain who you identify with so whether you identify as being masculine or feminine a man or a woman if you don't identify being either if you're non-binary um, who you're attracted to plays a part as well so if you're attracted to people of the same sex the opposite sex if you aren't attracted to anyone um, uh, if you're attracted to both sexes um, and the idea of gender expression choose the way that you choose to express your own identity to the world um, so it's just like a very complex interplay of all those different characteristics seen more as a spectrum rather than a kind of neatly defined category so I come back to again and I'm I just it's really it's messing my head a little bit this conversation probably <laughs> in, a way, in a good way like but if it's socially constructed, we're identifying with something which isn't real. Yeah. Whatever is a social yeah. construction is not permanent because it's going to shift. But then. And don't you think that it is shifting now? So yeah. there's a there's a there's a there's a whole world of people now who are finding a voice, and I, I'm really I really strongly believe this has happened because of social media and and the the voices of marginalized people being heard and people are starting to identify actually some or all of what that person has said i'm starting to understand that i don't fit into the box that i thought i fitted into anymore mm -hmm. i'm more than that or I, I i really identify with that part of what that person was saying and what is starting to happen is you've got fractions of society, and particularly for, for the younger generation, you know, that it's, it's changing a lot. And I think it's been around within the LGBT community for a long time. You know, it's something that many of us have kind of had an idea about, but it's only been much more recently, there's language around it, and it's, it's, it's become common language to for people to say how they want to be identified um zara and myself are both you know on our zoom accounts i've got he him zara's got she her and actually that's really useful for people to know that because yeah sorry going into any conversation we can't make an assumption around what we're seeing in front of us <laughs> and i think that you 
so we have to find ways of making our discourse more um, accessible and inclusive for everyone and the thing about pronouns is I didn't really see the point of well I would think like oh probably it's really obvious that I'm a woman sitting here but for people who want to have their pronouns or like would like to share their pronouns if you don't if everyone didn't include their pronouns and it would be difficult for them to kind of feel inc included or for it to be normalized I think that starts a more inclusive platform or way for everyone to kind of share their pronouns and yeah I think you know I just having this conversation I'm kind of thinking I don't know what mine are well I, I actually genuinely have no idea what I would identify as I don't I doesn't I can't say strongly female strongly male I can't I kind of feel like the whole gender thing is a social construct. I don't like to be put in any box anyway. I identify with what you might call social norms of, or social traits of men and women, because, but I think that they are alive within all beings. You know, I, I, I can't, I don't like the gender stereotyping and I never have, and I've always kicked back against it. Um, but I've all, I had this kind of view in my head, you know, and this is my ignorance and I hold my hands up to it. They, if somebody felt more like a man, that's because they've been born in the wrong body and maybe they needed to have a transgender operation. And, um, but actually, you know, as I've got older and understood, had more conversations around this kind of um, stuff, actually you can feel all of those things within whatever body you happen to be in and, and probably a lot more. So, sorry, Daniel, I can see you wanna. No, it's just, I think, you know, that's a, I, I, I think how you've explained that Dawn is really eloquent and actually the way that you've gone from thinking in a more binary mind of oh you know they're a man but they feel like a woman therefore they need to change their body to be able to fit into society that again you know is a pathway that some people follow but actually you're finding now that some people are actually like you've said I feel really comfortable in how I am the problem is other people interpreting who I am, <laughs> you know, and, and I agree with you, Dawn, you know, my, the more I've spent time questioning myself, the more I'm open to actually being really comfortable with my sexuality changing as I change, as I get older, as my, as I've said before, you know, inviting this much more kind of feminine side of myself in and I don't know how that's going to come out I don't know how that's going to express itself you know it could be in any way but actually I think breaking down some of that fear of that constructive type of person that I feel like I had to be is mm. starting to open up all these questions around well you know if someone was to ask me how would I describe myself I don't know I say I'm a gay man, but actually that's open to interpretation day to day, moment to moment. <laughs> my goodness, my brain is being blown, completely blown, but I think in a good way. I mean, one of the things I wanted to, because I'm aware of time and we could, we'll probably have to do this conversation again another time and, you know, pad it out because there's so much to say. But, you know, you are in the medical field, you're working in women's health. Um, and I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, how does this stuff that we're talking about, how is it showing up and impacting in medicine and in the way women um, experience um, medical interventions, medical 
support and help, how we access it, what, you know, all of that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your experience around that? Um, yeah, I can like try and share my insight. I would say I'm okay. still like learning a lot and there's lots that I want to learn. Um, but for, for now, this is the kind of what I've gleaned from it so far. But so in my head, there's this idea of feminism that should be intersectional and it's an acknowledgement of all the different things. So like gender, race, class, um, that all have an effect um, and play a role in the unique identity of each person. Um, and those different factors come into play um, when you're looking at data about the health outcomes of specific groups of people. Um, and one of the groups of people who are really underrepresented in research um, and also really kind of, they have the, the quite bad health outcomes as well are black women and women of color. Um, so racial um, minority, like ethnic minority women. Um, and so one of the statistics that kind of, it really shook me and it shocked me so much that it kind of made me want to do women's health even more um, was that a black woman is five times more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman. And an Asian woman is twice as likely to die in childbirth than a white woman. Um, and they're still looking, so the report, the Embrace report was released about that. Um, and they're looking at the specific, like it's still being investigated the reasons behind it um, and whether it's um, to do with the genetic makeup, if it's systemic racism, um, systematic racism, um, there's lots of different things that could be um, interplayed. Um, but yeah, um, and as well as that, it's pain relief for women. There's the stereotype of, of the hysterical woman who isn't believed when she's in pain or that a woman should have to just endure pain because it's a normal part of part of people's lives and womanhood and for example period pain people just say oh like it's normal get on with it um and there's like a lack of acknowledgement of the severity sometimes of pain that can lead to worse health, com health outcomes as well um and also for um cervical cancer screening um and like breast cancer um women of color often fare worse than uh, white women and yeah it's just yeah, it really shocked me when I found out all those statistics. And, and why do you think... Sorry, Daniel, go on. No, go on. I, I think we were going to ask the same question. <laughs> what, what, why do you think that is? And also, for me, what is being done to address this imbalance that, that, you're, that you're researching and, you know, you're, you're actually aware of from the statistics? Yeah, I would, I would say that there is definitely better awareness now than there was before and the kind of the knowledge that healthcare healthcare workers have now of the idea that certain people are more at risk in certain procedures than others that can kind of um, help people to subconsciously undo biases um, in their own brain um, that I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done in terms of research um, and actually concrete evidence about um, like the reasons behind all of this. But 
yeah have you, have you started to think about where you want to take your experience and your knowledge where you want to kind of you know where, where's your journey after your after your MA I have no idea <laughs> there's so much that I want to do that I'm definitely leaning towards like my content at the moment um is really interesting about female reproductive anatomy um and so I'm definitely thinking along the like obscene gynae line maybe um but also yeah I'm just I'm open to anything <laughs> yeah I haven't I've only done three years of uh like education in medicine so yeah it's just still open I'm not gonna kind of like yeah leave anything out yet and how many how many more is there to go I feel like I'll just be learning the whole of my life I literally just feel like it's just never ending but yeah there's yeah, many years I, I actually have no idea like I met medical school is five years and then after that you're still like training for a while so yeah well I think it's such a it's such an important thing to continue to learn Dawn and I were talking about this the other day you know the minute you stop learning it's kind of time to pack your bag isn't it <laughs> you know get off the train <laughs> I'm just thinking about what you were saying you know how women you know sometimes um when we have medical situations you know where um we're almost dismissed yeah and like we're hysterical and I know that for me in our family all of the women in our family struggled really bad with our reproductive health we had terrible mm -hmm. terrible periods to the point where you know a bit psychotic and um and maybe I'm using the wrong language there I don't know maybe that shouldn't be calling myself psychotic but I did want to kill people literally for a couple of days before my period I mean really just like had to restrain myself from picking up sharp implements for years and terrible, terrible pain. And, you know, no one cared, you know, literally even, even female doctors, I think, unless maybe they had had a personal bad experience themselves with their periods and their, you know, the stuff that was going on for them and their hormones that no, they weren't interested. They were just like, Oh, well, you just got to suck it up and go on with it. It's just a woman's lot, you know? Yeah. And I, I kind of, my kids have been the same, you know, they all struggled with their hormones, still do. And I've kind of educated myself a lot over the years and had, um, you know, learned how to support myself with the right diet and the right sleep and about, you know, actually, you know, this is part of your cycle and you should take time off at that time, not try and push through and it's okay to go to bed and rest if you need to. And, you know, I, I've kind of had to find that information out about myself for myself. And I've tried to part, pass it along to my kids who actually you know occasionally get quite irritated by the fact that you know they're having terrible cramps and are really moody and we all have to kind of like duck and take for cover for a week but it's you know it's it, it is part of who we are and I kind of feel like why are we you know we're half of the population yeah or 51 percent of the population yeah, yeah. we're 51 thank you very much we're 51 percent of the population like our for a part a certain part of the and, and without us There'd be no, you know, in the same way without blokes, there would be, you know, we wouldn't continue, you know, society to continue. We need, we need both. And yet we're, we're not looked after, you know, we're kind of like, oh, shut up and get on with it. You know, take a, take a Feminax and get back to work. And I kind of wonder, you know, why, why does that happen? And why is it worse for people of color? You know, I'm shocked to hear that as in this day and age still, really? It, I think there is just a complete, peripheralization of women's needs and they're not met from a healthcare perspective 
because of a number of reasons. One of them might be because research into specific issues that affect women um, isn't really up to the same standard or that the conditions that affect men are, for example, well, heart attack, for example, affects men and women, but there's so much evidence, well, evidence around um, heart attack symptoms. So what we've learned from one of the first few terms of medical school was that crushing chest pain is a typical symptom of a heart attack in patients. Um, and that's based on research cohorts. Um, but for women presenting with heart attacks, one of the main symptoms, so they might not present with crushing chest pain, they might, might present with general feelings of not feeling well or like feeling a bit tired, general symptoms of malaise. And that's seen as an atypical symptom of a heart attack. So we're not taught to recognize that early on. And because of that, you, the women who come in experiencing heart attacks end up having worse health outcomes because it's not treated and picked up at the same time as crushing chest pain, which would more likely to be like picked up in a man would be seen. And it's just, it acts on lots of different levels but it has real life implications on women and do you think that's because and this is i'm just being curious i'm quite ignorant about this is that because like if someone came to me and said you know i'm feeling exhausted and tired i you know if you're interested in that person and care about them you would try and find out why like are you generally tired you know what are you doing in your life what else is going on you'd be asking those questions to find out if this was out of the norm from them and I'm wondering, is in the medical profession, you know, do they not care enough to ask those questions? Or are women genuinely sidelined and men get more better care? Do they get better care? Are they looked after better? Or, or I, is go, yeah, yeah, go no, I, I would say that definitely the medical professional, medical professionals are women as well, and men, and they women are cared about as much as men are. There's a lack of research for things that specifically affect women um and also because of that kind of stereotype that you have of a woman overreacting um her pain not being acknowledged because of like this idea of a hysterical woman that could play into a part of it as well the idea that a woman's kind of healthcare journey she's meant to endure pain so from a young age you're kind of taught that it kind of like silence that in you because like nothing can be done about it it's just a normal part of being a woman mm. um and yeah I think it's just like a multitude of different things but they all kind of you were speaking earlier about um sorry I'm talking over you I'm getting very excited <laughs> getting all excited you were um speaking about what research how research and I'd, I'd found this out earlier this year and I can't remember how I found it out, but I think our read, our listeners should really hear it, that research, when it's done, women are excluded from the findings because of their hormones. Can you just talk a little bit yeah, about so, that? Uh, yeah, we were talking earlier about Ambien, um, which is a sleep aid drug that was brought out, um, yeah, so as a sleep aid. They had conducted research, before they brought it to market, they'd conducted research um, on research cohorts that consisted of men um, and they left out women who are of reproductive age um, because they didn't know the side effects um, 
and then they took it to market and because it had only been tested on men after they took it to market they realized that the doses were really wrong for women but they'd only realized that after women had fallen asleep at the wheel um and yeah just had like really horrific health outcomes after <laughs> it had been brought to market um because of the idea of including women in research cohorts can also confound the data because men and women are physiologically different mm -hmm. so there's this idea that medicine is a like a man and a woman a woman is just a smaller man with boobs and tubes <laughs> there's wow. so much more physiologically complex because of hormones reproductive organs lots of different things um come into play so the way that you treat women can't just be looking at a woman and thinking oh it's just like a smaller man so that's how we treat women um differently uh but yeah you have to kind of pay attention to lots of different things and especially with mental health as well the way that we approach mental health is really kind of you have to look at the complex interplay of the it's called a, a biopsychosocial model looking at the kind of social impacts as well on the people who you're treating um, and the gender role of a woman that can kind of be seen as different interaction with your society than a man um, but the way that it's been treated is like a man and a woman are kind of the same having the same kind of um, impacts on their mental health therefore we'll treat this patient in the same way but you have to have a unique approach to every single patient don't you so and I guess that costs money apart from anything else if you're going to look at the individual everybody's individual needs are so never mind gender they're just unique anyway you know based on you know their background and the way they think and their socioeconomic situation that's all going to be impactful yeah. And it, it seems to come down to me, and I correct me if I'm not on the right page here at all, but it feels like it's coming down to money and about making money. And um, men are still seen wrongly, I, I feel, as the people who make the money. They're like they, they're still the heads of business. Um, they're still it's still easier for a man to go get further in his career than it is for a woman. I mean, even you know, people that are close to me have who who are in business and who run their own businesses will say if if I have two people in front of me, a man and a woman, going for a promotion, I'm and they're equal, I'm more likely to take the man over the woman because he's not going to take a child break. Mm. I find that horrific, absolutely horrific, that in this day and age, that is still, that limit, that limited view is still being applied in business. So, I don't know, do you, do you feel, do you feel like... Rather than think, yeah, I yeah I just that really makes me so angry because you're completely getting rid of all the things that a woman can bring or regardless of their gender what an individual can bring to the role um I think also we have to think about the kind of as well as money it's the kind of value we ascribe to people mm -hmm. and their who they are their gender their race mm -hmm. and maybe it's just that women of colour aren't valued the same as a white cis man yeah. I wonder yeah well it's a big conversation this is this is a big rabbit hole we need to go down another <laughs> day that's a big really big conversation yeah. wow so um 
in terms of I just wanted to cover one more thing you know as you've grown up in you know in society and you know you've grown up in your unique situation with your family your socioeconomic group your kind of culture you've been exposed to um what is it what changes would you like to see you know if you if you could have a hand and you do you have a hand in carving the future I'm always saying this to my kids you have a heart you have a hand in carving the future that you want to see so make sure the choices that you make even if they're difficult ones are a step towards that change versus in a step step backwards and I'm really strong about that even though I don't always understand what's going on to be honest but I am strong about where I want people to go in the right direction versus back in the direction that I had to grow up in which was very difficult um, and I'm sure it's still difficult now but in a different way but I feel like you have an awful lot of opportunity because I think young people aren't prepared to sit back and be told any longer yeah, I so think what would, you, what would you like to say um I think now there is a lot of change in people acknowledging and understanding their unique experiences of the world and their own experiences of privilege, um, their kind of, yeah, characteristics that shape their unique experiences. And then you can turn that around and look at how other people's experiences of the society that we live in are so completely different. Um, and having an appreciation of that and making conversations and platforms more inclusive to people that sit on every kind of rung of society. Um, uh, I think specifically in the field that I want to be working in is just, I want to, I want there to be like a removal of stigma and shame around women's bodies. I think that women are so like completely silent sometimes when things concerning their health around their bodies, the kind of peripheralization of their needs as well. I think that once we undo the kind of learnt shame, um, then we can start having more open conversations that aren't, you, you shouldn't feel guilty or there shouldn't be taboo around conversations about your own body, your reproductive organs. Um, yeah, and I hope, I think that is changing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm in such a bubble. Like, mm. I wonder if it is, but that's what I would like to see. And also, I wonder if we'll ever get there, um, but, seeing more equality in healthcare and not having to look at statistics that show that a person of color of a certain race is going to have worse health outcomes or more at risk to dying in childbirth than a white person. Yeah. Daniel. Something that I've really been trying to do um, over the last year or two is just looking at not taking on surface value what I'm being told. So giving myself an opportunity, say, you know, if I wanted to, I don't know, buy a pair of trainers, for example, go and research who the trainers are made by, what you can find out about them, where the money goes, where the company is affiliated with, and I think it's really important that, you know, money is the most important thing that we have to either make a difference to that organisation or not take put our money with that organisation. And I think, you know, it's, 
for me, it's vital that the hard-earned cash that I'm making is being invested into other people, companies, organisations that are actually supporting people who I see as having a similar outlook in life to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, buying powered. Absolutely. Ryan yeah. and I do it every time we're going on holiday. We'll always look up the LGBT rights of that country. And that is a deciding factor about where we go on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for us, it's really important because actually, you know, money is the most powerful thing that we've got, unfortunately, in this world. And it's about actually, you know, being really careful about where you put it. And I think, you know, now we live in an age where you can find out so much more information, can't you? And it's really worth digging around and doing research into those things and our health is probably the most important thing that we ever get given so it's really important that we you know we do research and we do give ourselves an opportunity to 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 question these things that we're, we're being told i was just listening to you talking daniel I, my mind wandered for a moment in the menopausal way it does this week and i was thinking um in yoga you see more senior male teachers and uh, sort of in the spiritual community sort of authors and teachers than you do female and I think that's something that really should be addressed and I kind of wonder why <laughs> how is that possible in a world that is about liberation because ultimately yoga's about liberation and you know and you know the journey home to self and in self there certainly isn't gender um there's another conversation we need to have um, uh, why, why why is that you know what how did this I'm sure this wasn't the way in the olden days I think women had were treated greatly surely respectfully was it the beginning do you think it was like when Chris and I'm being ignorant so I might be wrong do you think it's when Christianity came along and kind of said women are you know basically you're given to your husband and you become part of his property when you get married and you know, so it's so, yeah, like it actually blows my mind how much the objectification of women throughout history has just, it's literally just run so deep, but it's really surfacing for me now when I think about my own reproductive rights and my own body and my own relationship with my body and that having bodily autonomy and having the decisions or the rights to decide what happens to your body is like so important but it's literally one of the first things that we learn about like I remember learning about it when I was like preparing for my medical school interviews um and then looking at laws surrounding abortion now governed by people like governed by um Trump for example the global oh. rule and that kind of the women's bodies are still criminalized and controlled by women by men sitting around a table that's astonishing isn't it and i know i actually was horrified during the during the trump presidency where there was a state and it was probably a southern state i'm, I'm generalizing but it tends to be in that part of america where they did try to criminalize abortion again didn't they and he was like if a woman has an abortion she'll be put in jail am i right in remembering it that way it's the case as well for a lot of the aid that America gives to countries in the global south. So, for example, a lot of countries receiving med money for medical aid um, in 
for example, an African, sub-Saharan African country, um, America decided to withdraw that aid if that specific clinic was providing family planning services, including abortion. So they had so much power. As you were saying, Daniel, it was like money is power. Mm. And in the sense that America is giving proportionally so much money to um, specific health clinics, providing these crucial services for women. And it's just, yeah, they can just call the shots and have real life implications on women's bodily autonomy, their future health outcomes. And yeah, it has knock on implications. It feels like some kind of dark dystopian story, something like that, The Handmaid's Tale, when I hear stuff like this. And yeah. We're living in a society where we can earn our own money, where it should be equal. Certainly in my head, we're all equal. Um, you know, we can own... I mean, my mother-in-law was telling me she wasn't allowed a checkbook or a bank account when she got married. She had mm -hmm. Her husband had to look after her money for, I think it was till the late 70s, which... Well, I, I learned recently that it was only until the late 70s that a man had to be a guarantor on a mortgage. Mm. <laughs> you just think, uh, how, you know, that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Absolutely crazy. So a woman <laughs> couldn't have a mortgage on her own. Because our little pea brains can't cope with it, Daniel, clearly. Can't possibly add up all those numbers. Oh my goodness. God help them if two gays turned up at the bank. Uh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> they were known to do themselves. <laughs> well, you know, guys, this has been such an interesting conversation and we could go on forever, but we can't because we all have homes to go to. Um, homes where I am e absolutely equal, dare I say. <laughs> equal, equal rights in our home, that's for sure. If, if, if anything, with all the four... With, we have three women and one man, it's probably a little bit weighted the other way, poor bloke. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's 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 round things up with our, our little promise that we'll come back to this conversation another time. Um, we'd love to know because this uh, podcast is about well-being and how to look after yourself, and you know, it's important to educate ourselves around you know how the world is changing. That's part of our well-being. Um, so this has been really useful to me. It's got my little brain worrying lots of questions going on now which is a good thing um so how, how do you take care of yourself Zara what do you do to make sure you are well and you feel balanced and you don't get overwhelmed what's your what's your regime um I think that this is such an ironic question because I I think that I could definitely look after myself better um I I definitely like I think for me personally running is really important to just kind of have a release and a switch off um do something different and active yeah I, I think it was like since the beginning of lockdown I've really like got back into running again um which has been good just like a time in the day where I can just kind of switch off and have a release and um with all the changes that have happened since like the first lockdown you haven't really had that kind of social release um so yeah, it's been really helpful for my own mental health. Um, I think, yeah, I would say that this year since starting this course and um, living in London, I've been kind of like trying to cook proper meals 
I think that has been very good for my like own kind of skill set for like learning new recipes and stuff um, and like eating well. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I think I probably should think much more about how to like take care of myself and stuff, but yeah. Just something for you to think about then. Yeah, Maybe thank you. you. A yoga class. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I definitely do. That'd be great. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for coming on. I know um, Daniel wants to say a few words before we uh, wind everything up. But thank you for having illuminating. me. Illuminating. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you and just, yeah, just to talk about this stuff that needs to be talked about even more. So, you know, it's so important that we have this platform and many other platforms to be able to to have these conversations and to raise awareness of, you know, people that maybe are not feeling like they're represented in, in the same way. Um, we'd encourage you, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please to subscribe on Apple, leave us a review, and please do share with others. Um, if there's any subjects that you want us to cover or maybe people that you think might be quite interesting for us to have on the podcast, then please do let us know. Um, Dawn and I have got quite a busy couple of days with some podcast interviews. Um, and actually, in the next month or so, we're having a really, really interesting conversation with an organisation who are called Yoga Campus. And Yoga Campus offer um, the most amazing yoga educational facility that I've ever come across. I mean, they've got online platforms. They train people to be yoga teachers. I did my yoga therapy training with them. And we're really, really um, delighted that Elizabeth and Graham, who are the directors of Yoga Campus, are going to come on and talk to Dawn and I about running a ethical business from the standpoint of, of the sort of yogic principles. Um, so we're really, really excited to be talking about that with those two. So we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. So again, if there's anything else that you want us to talk about or people that you want us to interview, please do let us know. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.